Welcome to Leadership Letters, the brand new podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers. Welcome to the podcast. I can hardly believe we're at episode three of Leadership Letters and I'm delighted to be here. And I thought I'd take the opportunity this month of doing two things. One is to start a little bit of a December tradition for this podcast. It might only be episode three, but hopefully we'll be around for a long time. So December is going to be a month in which I do something that is very important to me and my work. And that is to walk my talk, to do myself the things I'm asking other people to do. We've already had some amazing letters on the first two episodes and I've been asking you who you would write to and inevitably you've been asking me the same thing. And indeed, I've been asking myself that question, who would I write my leadership letter to? So in today's episode, I'll be sharing a leadership letter that I have written. I'll also be sharing the usual leadership lowdown. And this month, it will have a little bit of a festive twist. So looking forward to sharing all that with you today. Dear Hilary. Dear Nelson. Dear Anita. You were told you were cold when instead you're clever and thoughtful. Through all of this, you were brave, bold and inspirational. However, you weren't successful. History wasn't on our side that day and female leaders all around the world felt the shock and horror of that situation. I was sometimes worried about starting things because they seemed too big to handle. But you were able to tackle a challenge that was the size of an entire country and baked into hundreds of years of terrible history, repression and violence. With the way you set up the body shop, you shun convention and set about building a business from your kitchen table, which would make money and do good, but also fit with your life and children. I like to think in some small way, George and I did the same when setting up our own company 30 years later. So it's lovely to hear those snippets and highlights again from Michael, George and Nikki, the first guests on Leadership Letters. I chose not to hear their letters before the day. As long as that's okay for the guests, that's how this is going to work. I'd prefer not to hear them. But George did drop me a line before she came on to say she had so many people that she had in mind and had written letters to as a result of this exercise, she was finding it hard to choose. And that got me thinking about how hard I would find it to choose. And it reminded me of the germ of an idea I had a few years ago, which I do now wonder whether in some form was the very deeply buried seeds of the idea that ended up here. And that was to write a postcard or a letter on a fairly regular basis to someone I wanted to let know that I had admired their work. The truth is that didn't become a habit, but I do remember finding it so interesting and enlightening, not just about them, but about myself when I was thinking about who I would send those letters to and what I would write. So already in sharing and choosing and writing to the leaders that they have chosen, our guests have shared as well with me that that's reminded them of things about themselves and about others and revealed things too. So I too have found it incredibly difficult to choose who to write to. But I've given myself the little Christmas gift of knowing that every December, this is what I will do. I'll get the chance to write a letter. So I do have the caveat that I can write more over the years. The first one I thought I would write was so deeply personal that I just didn't think, if I'm totally honest, that I would get through it on this podcast. And whilst emotion is extremely welcome here, there's that and there's also managing to get to the end while you guys are all listening. So I've chosen to keep that family letter very personal. And then I was thinking about the leaders that I've admired that I am more distant from, where I would be perhaps talking about the more practical side of leadership. And there are lots of those letters that I want to write too. But the letter that 
kept echoing round in my mind and I kept coming back to, I think actually marries both of those things. It's a letter to somebody who is very important to me personally and somebody who has taught me a great deal through observing their leadership over the years. So my first December leadership letter is going to be to someone I think about often when I think about leadership role models. And in fact, I wrote to him when he retired and I do have some recollection of what I said in that letter. And I think probably some of that is recreated here. So grab whatever takes your fancy, be it mulled wine, mince pie or both. And I'm going to share my first December leadership letter. And this letter is to Ian Collins. Ian, you'd be allowed to grab a whiskey at this point if you're listening. So Ian was my very first English teacher. He was the deputy head when I joined a secondary school at age 13. And he's now a, remains a friend and he's somebody who I have worked with and worked for at various times over the years and also turned to many times over the years. So this is my leadership letter to him. Dear Ian, I think it's fair to say that we all learn a great deal from our early experiences of something, anything. My early experiences of leadership were as a pupil and I can see in the work I do with leaders today and the leader I have tried to be the echoes of what I learned as I watched you. Presence would be the first thing I noticed. As you stood on stage in assemblies, you were a formidable presence, someone not to be messed with. And yet in the classroom, your students soon realised that what made the most powerful of combinations was your presence coupled with your kindness, your belief in the young people you taught and in the things you taught them, and your interest in them as individuals. The ingredients of presence, as I see them, are confidence in your right to be there, knowing your strengths, knowing the reasons why you are there. Clear intention for yourself and others that connects to values and purpose, as well as what it is you're sharing and the impact you need to have in that moment. Presence that isn't about volume or public speaking rules, but is about that balance of trust in what you're about to say and responsiveness to others. It's about what happens in the pauses and the listening that's just as important as what you say and how you say it. You always said as much, if not more, with your silence than you did with your speech. One of the many times I was reminded of your presence was in a year 10 drama lesson about three years into my own career as a teacher and six months into working in a new school. I was with a year 10 class who I had very much yet to get fully on board and was trying something different. I put my ego on the line by acting a role as the students came into my class, keeping going through the enormous discomfort of their reaction and the very loud voice in my head telling me to stop making such an utter fool of myself and what was I thinking? I was steeled by a flashback to you reading the Canterbury Tales with your wonderful Scottish accent curling around the words and hurling them into the classroom with what can only be described as gusto and how you kept going while as a class... We gradually got over our embarrassment until not only did we get taken away with the words ourselves, but had the confidence to give them a go when it was our turn and to care that little bit less about what we sounded like. Like we did then, my year 10s eventually went quiet. I should acknowledge another leader there because it was also thanks in part to another great leader and I saw leadership in my students every day. A student who knew they could have tipped things either way and chose to say, shut up you lot, Mrs Acting. And there it was, a place from which to build. Another leadership lesson from you came through your belief in me. You had ambition for me. 
you didn't let me take no for an answer or memorably let anyone tell me it wasn't my right to try. In the days before email, the days of things like floppy disks, a floppy disk disaster meant a rewrite of an essay as part of a university application that had to happen in a matter of hours. You came to our house to give me feedback on it so that I would meet the deadline. A two-hour round trip. It was years later when I found out it was your birthday that day. I remain grateful to this day to you and your family for such extraordinary generosity in doing that. Watch a programme about great leaders and the chances are there will be someone talking about how that leader cared about the individuals within the organisation, who they were at work and above, beyond and outside their role and how they cared even long after that person had left. When I didn't know where to start with writing a dissertation in my third year of university, I phoned you. When I had a graduate job that bore no resemblance to who I was or where my skills lay, and we were catching up about some things, you were the person who challenged that and said, what on earth are you doing? What do you really want to do? The next thing I knew, I was teaching having found the thing that I absolutely loved. I remember then having to write in my application about a teacher that had inspired me and I wrote about you. And the thing that makes this remarkable is that it wasn't remarkable to you. I was one of hundreds, indeed thousands of young people to whom you made a difference because you cared. That, I believe, is the mark of a leader. I also learned from you that leaders are learners Learners about themselves, learners about the world and learners about others. Lifelong learners. I learned that leaders have passions, music, sport, art, craft, theatre. Having interests and passions are important. To be available to others, you have to refill the tank with what matters to you. And to truly know someone, you need to know what their passions are. Throughout the now very long time I have known you, I have watched you balance all that I've already talked about with robust challenge. For people and places to be the best they can be, they need both, the care and the challenge. You didn't surround yourself with people who looked and thought like you. You were up for challenging and being challenged by both your closest colleagues and your critics. As I write this, I'm reminded of those clever images where one face is actually made up of thousands of photographs. If leadership is about legacy, I am proud to be one of the thousands of images that makes up yours. And as I continue to work with leaders on their presence, connection, passion and communication, and continue to work on myself and aim to be in service of others in whatever ways I can, I will continue to be reminded of the masterclasses I attended by watching you. Yours in gratitude and admiration, Lizzie. So I can't help noticing, and I'm sure you did too, that I became a little emotional in a section of that letter. And it's 30 years ago. It's a lot of years ago. And it does still, if I'm honest, get me every time that somebody would see it as part of their job to go that beyond the call of duty on their birthday. I do think that particularly this year, leaders have been having this kind of impact all over the world where it's not just the big decisions that they're making, but the 
compassionate interactions, the compassionate things that they are saying and doing with their teams, with the people that make up their organisations, that they are encouraging their teams to have with their teams. It is all these little bits of compassionate leadership that create the kinds of cultures that stay with people and that mean that people have memories like that to hold on to that they can recognize not only as important moments but as moments when they were seen heard and valued so one of the other things I'm not sure I've fully acknowledged in this letter actually is that I often find myself thinking about Ian when I'm talking to leaders about the fact that it is okay to have conflict There's this wonderful um, phrase that Patrick Lencioni uses in his work. He talks about the difference between artificial harmony and productive conflict. And I think they're absolutely brilliant because they're this reminder that as leaders, one of the things we need to choose and choose to work on is that it is okay to disagree. It is okay to bring the differences of opinion that mean you really do throw an idea around or work through some alternatives to the strategy that you had in mind or say some stuff that is that is difficult to say but when you have that positive intention underneath all of it when you have that clarity that we actually ultimately are all here wanting to achieve the same things and we are able to agree that once we've had this bit of productive conflict we can revert to being absolutely okay with it and we can send out a united, aligned message around it. That is really powerful stuff. And it's more difficult than it sounds, I think, to really model being okay with whatever comes through your office door or is put onto the table. And that's something that I think I've continued to see and see Ian role model in all of his work. I really enjoyed that process of writing my own leadership letter because there's something about getting things down on paper, saying things out loud. You know, when you get out of your own head and you realise what you or are reminded of what you really, truly think about something or someone. I do also believe in walking my talk. As a coach, I am a client of coaching and it's quite important to me, it's extremely important to me that if there's ever anything that I would be asking a client to reflect on or a tool or an exercise I'd ask them to use that I have done that myself. So it did feel a little bit cheeky to be asking all of you to be writing your leadership letters if I hadn't done one for myself. And I loved it. I can't help noticing how much in doing that I have reflected on and acknowledged some important things. So if hearing all of that makes you think about writing your own leadership letter, we would really love to devote some episodes in 2021 to your letters. So please do send them in. You're listening to the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection on all things leadership. If you haven't already downloaded episodes one and two and subscribed, you can catch up on those perhaps over your break in the holidays. And coming up later in this episode, I will let you know how you can get in touch and be part of the Leadership Letters of 2021. So next, we'll turn our attention to the Leadership Letters Lowdown. And this is where I share something to read, something to watch, something to listen to, and some reflections, tools, techniques around leadership. This very tumultuous year has led me to a to-listen-to recommendation that is pretty special to me, actually. A bit of a shameless plug, one could argue, but also in the spirit of walking my talk, one that I am genuinely using for myself. So 
I had a hand in partnership with my very brilliant, wonderful colleague, Alison Lucas, in some work this year around endings in organisations. And what I'd love to do now is share a little bit about that with you and also share with you how I'm going to use that and how you could potentially use that to think about how you close this extraordinary year and really, truly turn towards 2021 for your organisation. So the To Listen To recommendation this month is a podcast, Endings for Beginnings, all about how we can turn our attention to better, stronger beginnings, stronger teams and stronger impact and results in organisations by paying a bit more attention to the seemingly rather unattractive prospect of more attention to endings. So something I do in December, taking advantage of the fact that I do like to think of myself as New Year in September. This is the academic year in me sees September as my new year. But the advantage of that is it gives me two opportunities to have a new year. So I like to cheat a little bit and use this part of, of the year, the December to January New Year, to spend time with my supervisor reflecting on the work I've been doing with others, the work I've done on me, my coaching during the year, and to set intentions for myself and for the business for next year. This year, I'm using some of the work that Alison and I did to really pay very close attention to what 2020 has involved. It has been such an extraordinary year. And to use the four pillars of endings in organisations to look at the year that has gone past and use that to really, truly, fully prepare for and turn towards next year. Well, Alison has been enriching my life and my conversations for many years and in 2017, we had a conversation about the extent to which we paid attention to how we closed our coaching relationships versus how we began them in terms of things like the time spent, the co-creation with the client, the attention to detail, transparency, clarity, boundary, many things. And we were noticing we probably paid more attention to those at the beginning of a coaching relationship than towards the end at that time. And that led to many, many more conversations about endings more generally and particularly endings in organisations. It also coincided with some deeply personal experience around endings in our personal lives. And as we talked more and learned more, we incorporated what we were learning into our work and started seeing the impact of more attention to endings on our clients, stronger teams, greater energy, more clarity, and all that coming from that seemingly counterintuitive action of paying closer attention to endings, including some of the emotion and difficult stuff bound up in them. So when during 2020, as we all know, we saw a dramatic increase in the endings that organisations and the people in them were experiencing, and we were seeing leaders that we worked with and leaders that we didn't, leaders everywhere, navigating their way through all the kinds of endings we've been looking at, redundancies, Plus then, of course, the, the whole notion of furlough, teams breaking up, mergers, acquisitions. We were seeing all those usual types of endings, but in huge numbers and also those very difficult endings in the death of a colleague. So people facing so much in their professional lives this year. We knew that the client, our clients had been finding this useful and we wanted to share something that leaders would find useful at this time. And that led to an article, an extraordinary response to that article, and that led to the podcast that I'm recommending too, and some further exercises for leaders. So you can find all of that in its new home, which is www.endingsforbeginnings.co.uk. And I wanted to acknowledge, as I ask you to perhaps think about listening to that podcast, 
how you could use it as a guide rail for really closing out this year. So the exercise that I've been working on this year is to look at my business and write some notes on each of the four pillars of ending well in relation to my work. Those pillars are reality, emotions, accomplishment and ritual. So reality is about me starting by fully articulating the situation, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, plus all the tricky and messy stuff we might not want to look at. But it does free us up when it's been fully surfaced rather than lurking out around in our minds or boxed up in uncomfortable places. The second thing I did was really take a long look at how I have felt this year. That really, really full picture of the reality that comes from also getting a full picture of how I feel about it or have felt. Now, I noticed the role of guilt and the role that played earlier in the year, mostly around what I couldn't do to help. So naming it at the time helped me do something more productive than feel guilt and to look to where I could be useful. And in looking at the year in detail, so rather than it just rattling around my head, but truly turning towards it, I was then able to do that important work of acknowledging what had been accomplished last year. There's always something. And once you start, there's usually more than you thought. So by taking care not to hurry through it or gloss over those accomplishments, I had that opportunity to re-resource myself, both with a sense of satisfaction of contribution and with a greater awareness of strengths and skills I've built and responses to challenges. So in having paid attention to those three pillars, the fourth pillar of our work on endings has been ritual the way that we say a proper goodbye to something and turn our energy and attention more fully to the future. So for me, this exercise has helped me to truly name 2020 from a work perspective. Rather than thoughts bouncing around my head, I've got them down on paper. And in doing that, I've gone beyond those circular repeated thoughts into some thinking with more depth and breadth and ultimately settled myself. It's been a year where there's also been much to celebrate from a work point of view. Collaboration, work with clients, work with colleagues, writing, this podcast. There's a huge amount of learning too that's arisen from all of that. So naming those accomplishments has been a really useful way for me to end this year. And in your organisation, it might be that accomplishments, you're drawn perhaps to things like, you know, those bottom line results, but it's not exclusive to those. What, what else, I wonder, for you is in the accomplishments of this year? And I want to acknowledge at this point, actually, that I'm, of course, a human being. We all are. And this exercise has brought up other aspects of my life, too. And whilst there is plenty to reflect on there, that's something I'm, I've been comfortable doing. But something that Ali and I say whenever we share this work, we are very aware as we offer it. This is an area that people often choose, either consciously or unconsciously, not to attend to for the very reasons that we wrote the original article. It can be painful, it can be challenging, it can be emotive work. So we encourage you, if you are doing this kind of work, to seek support if you think you need it. Start with work on yourself and use approaches. don't use these approaches to work with anybody else unless you feel safe and qualified to do so. And if you do need some further support, then either in the links in the notes to this podcast or at the website, you will find some links to places where you can go to seek support. So having done all that, what I'm now giving thought to is the ritual. When the out of office goes on around the 18th of December, I'm going to be thinking about how I tip my hat to everything in those reality, emotions and accomplishments pillars. 
and in doing so make way for clear thinking, energy and readiness and planning for 2021 and do whatever it is that's going to allow me to then truly take that break, knowing that I'm ready when 2021 appears. I think it's probably going to involve a long walk, maybe sending some letters or cards, maybe something to do with the family, maybe a cheesy Christmas movie. I haven't decided yet, but there will be a conscious choice to do something that says farewell to all that 2020 has involved and to look to the future. So it is the festive season. And before I offer you a a lighter to watch recommendation, I'm going to offer a to read recommendation that you might want to put in your own or somebody else's stocking. It's, It's a read that won't take you long, but oh my goodness, it's absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I've just read Abby Wombok's book called Wolfpack. She's a former captain of the US women's soccer team. Oh my goodness, what a great read. How about this for a quote? Leader is not a title that the world gives to you. It's an offering that you give to the world. I can't help myself. I'm going to have to read a bit to you because I absolutely love it. So a goal has been scored. And Abby says, it might appear to the crowd that the team is celebrating the goal scorer. But what the team is really celebrating is every player, every coach, every practice, every sprint, every doubt and every failure that this one single goal represents. Sometimes you'll make a 60-yard sprint only to watch another woman score the big goal. Sometimes it was your tackle, your run, your heart and your sweat that made that goal possible. You will not always be the goal scorer. When you are not, you'd better be rushing towards her. Sometimes you will be the goal scorer. I was that goal scorer 184 times during my international career. If you watch footage of any of those goals, you'll see that the moment after I score, I begin to point. I point to the teammate who assisted. I point to the defender who protected us. I point to the midfielder who ran tirelessly. I point to the coach who dreamed up this play. I point to the bench player who willed this moment into existence. I've never scored a goal in my life without getting a pass from someone else. Every goal I've ever scored belonged to my entire team. When you score, you'd better start pointing. And this book is full of moments like that. And what I love also is that as you read it, the other person that you would be pointing to is yourself. So again, as you close this year, who are you pointing to and how are you pointing to yourself and making sure that you stack up what you need to be acknowledging for yourself before you, if you possibly can. And I really hope that most of you listening to this will be able to take a break. So that leaves her to watch. The truth is, it is time for us all to now take a break. And the truth also is that I'm a sucker for a festive movie. So I'm going to incorporate into my ritual for heading towards the downtime of the festive season by daring to suggest the best Christmas movie that you might choose to watch. Controversial, I know. I'm going to go for The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. The Jim Carrey version, I should add. I haven't seen the new one. And now, even as I say that, there's a debate raging in my head, just like it does around our dinner table, because I haven't now said Elf, which is also my favourite. And those of you who know this would know that only a cotton-headed ninny muggins would say different. Polar Express is up there. Oh my gosh, I'm just going to have to let you sort this one out for yourselves. So that's it for episode three. Thanks again to everyone who's got in touch and been involved with Leadership Letters so far. And please remember that once you have written your letter to ensure that you are on the nice list, we would really love to hear from you with a leadership letter of your own. 
Do also get in touch if you have some suggestions about who you'd like to hear from in this podcast. We've got some fantastic people lined up for 2021. I'm really looking forward to speaking to them and hearing their letters. And we'd really love to hear ideas for later in the year too. You can get in touch on my website, thecausewaycoaching.com, or you can email lizzie at thecausewaycoaching.com. We'd be ever so grateful for a like, subscribe or a comment about the podcast, wherever it is you download your podcast from. And with that subscription, we will get to see you in 2021 and we'll look forward to that. So this is the Leadership Letters podcast, a reflection of all things leadership, wishing you a very happy festive season and all the best for whatever 2021 brings. But I think I'll leave you with a quote from Fred Claus. The world is what you make it, and it all starts with what you make of yourself. See you soon.